0: Mark does the boring garbage that I don't really want to do, and I'm the talent, if you haven't picked up on that yet. That's the relationship here.
1: They're all thinking, you need better talent. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man
0: the FBI once described as
1: wholly obsessed with his own belly button,
0: my brother Mike. Um, what I'm wholly obsessed with is solving cases. And you know, if that takes me to weird places, it takes me to weird places, but I'm in it to win it. FBI.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, was it you going against the FBI or were they out looking for you? I can't remember exactly how, how that situation went down.
0: Let me just say I was, of I was a vigilante on a mission. You
1: thought you were helping them. Yeah. It's one of those, one of those kind of things. I think, um, I forgot to put down what episode this is, so we're gonna write that down really what quick. Is it like a like, uh, like a number. we get too deep into this,
0: is it a number that you write down.
1: Yeah, we, we yeah I know we're every here. one of our episodes. This is our sixty third episode. Everyone, just, no just way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're you know I would say we're close to a hundred, but we're not. We're close to sixty four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have yeah. No clue you did that. Um. So so that's that's huge, right? Yeah, on this week's episode, yeah, there's so much I do behind the scenes that you know nothing about that makes this makes this podcast so happen. More, Mark it's does insane. the boring okay. garbage that um, I don't really
0: want to do, and I'm the talent, if you haven't picked up on that yet. That's the relationship here. They're all thinking, you need better talent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on this week's
1: episode, we'll reflect on a subpar week. Can we even call it that? It was worse than that, but I don't have like a ton of uh, names for Kinda it. kind of depends garbage. on how the game ends today. Yeah. Not really. They got swept by the Tigers this week. So how That's much true. could it really depend yeah, on that? Good point. Right. Good and point. so we're gonna dis- we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna discuss the emergence of Drew Waters as a as a viable starter for the Royals as a centerpiece in their outfield. And then we're gonna preview the final few games of the season because hey, there's three games left for the boys in blue, and then we're done. We're completely on to football season at that point. Mike, how are you feeling about the final week of baseball for the Royals?
0: Well, I feel like the guys really. Pulled together to rally for Mike Matheny's job here. If you need to know anything about how much they want to play for Mike Matheny, just watch this last week of baseball, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think some of those guys probably packing for him. <laughs> you know, don't forget Why this, not? Mike. Just, don't forget your ahead.
1: affliction T-shirt, buddy. You're yeah. gonna want this. Uh, you're gonna need that in you know Arizona or wherever <laughs> you're hanging out the next few what, few years. Yeah, we'll see on that one. We'll start our week in review, as we always do, with roster news. But once again, there was not much roster news this week. The Royals did activate Taylor Clark from the 15-day injured list, so he gets to come back and pitch for the last eight games or so. They optioned Jose Quas down to AAA, a move that really just dug the knife in just for me a little bit. I didn't like that move. I understand it because... It's all about inventory. Op- Quas has lots of options; they can send him down. It's not a big deal. Actually, they've already used his options this year, so it won't even cost them anything to send him back down. Whereas sending guys, other guys down, like Luke Weaver and stuff, may cost them an option or whatever. It's all about inventory. But Quas has pitched well enough to stay in the major leagues. He's probably been there. What, what would you say, Mike? Their third best reliever this year, behind Barlow and Dylan Coleman.
0: Uh, well, Taylor Clark had a really good run. Taylor there, Clark too. was good there um, for a little
1: bit. He hasn't pitched in quite a while, but. Um yeah. I don't know. It's Quas, I, Quas has been among their the, better. The
0: best of that really bad what the third or fourth best of that really bad bullpen. Yes. I as you know, I am I am a Jose Quas truther I don't I don't necessarily believe in his long-term ability. You mean hater. He's, the word is I hater. I know you're a big you're, <laughs> you're a big uh big Quas fan. You're, you're built the bandwagon. So, I'll let you have this one. I'm sorry it's been a rough week for you that he hasn't pitched.
1: Yeah, I know it has been, but anyway, uh, the rough week was also for the, for the Royals. It was a rough week for them. They went one and four this week. They're headed towards one and five with this Cleveland game. I haven't checked on the score in the last twenty minutes or so, but when it was I seven it, to five were, right before
0: we jumped on, okay. in the 8th.
1: seven to five in the eighth. Okay, so, so they're is. probably headed to one and five for the week. Uh, their overall record right now, as it stands right now, is sixty four and ninety four. But it looks like they're headed to sixty four and ninety five. Um, a sweep at the hands of the Tigers this week saw the Royals slip to dead last in the AL Central, and they got uh, some national media talking about the soon-to-be vacant managerial position in Kansas City. Mike, do you think Mike, Michini,
0: Mike Matheny has a job when we record the next week's episode? I do not expect him to be employed by the Kansas City Royals next week. He might have a job. I just don't expect it to be with the Kansas City Royals. Maybe he's, I he's don't selling know, Toyotas, hawking Toyotas, or life insurance. I'm not sure. Uh, but I don't expect him to be the manager of the Kansas City Royals next week when we record uh, our podcast.
1: Speaking of recording the podcast, I do want to throw out an apology. for my. There might be a little echo in here. I have officially moved into my house, and so there's nothing in the room that I'm in right now. Um, Just like last week, there was nothing in my the room I was in my apartment. There's no background, but eventually we'll get all that stuff set up. It'll look good. It'll sound a little bit better. It might be a little echoey this week, though. Um, But other than that, let's move on to some baseball. We had some strong performers this week, despite the poor showing from the team as a whole. Mike, tell us about a pitcher who is maddening and that sometimes he comes out and pitches well, like he did. And sometimes he looks like complete garbage.
0: Yeah. uh, Chris Bubich was the reason for their lone win so far this week. Uh, He went five innings pitched. He had eight strikeouts. How about the strikeout numbers from Chris Bubich in that start? Nobody saw that coming. Only gave up one walk and no earned runs. And this is what makes him maybe so maddening is that he can have a start like that which makes you think that he can be a successful major league starter when he hasn't ever shown the ability to then repeat that. Uh, and that's the kind of rough stuff. And so I was debating between him and Zach Greinke because Zach Greinke had a phenomenal start this week as well. Uh, he went seven innings and didn't give up any earned runs. But we we talk a lot about Bubic, and I think that's more important with the, for the team moving forward because who knows if Zach Greinke is going to be on this team next year or not. Uh, but Bubic, wow, how maddening. But trying to make his case to make the make the rotation next year, I guess.
1: We'll see. I mean, uh, I, I follow Tom House on Twitter. If you don't know who Tom House is, he's like a world-renowned pitching coach. And I, he put out a tweet yesterday or today that was talked about consistency, the notion that like, consistency is the hardest and most important thing for pitchers to learn. And that is the thing for Bubich. Can he consistently come out and perform? Can he consistently give them five innings? They're not asking for six or seven. They're asking for five from him, but not giving up a ton of walks, not giving up a ton of home runs and hits. We'll see on, on that moving forward. We'll see what a new pitching coach, a new pitching development regime does for him. Hopefully it does a lot. I'm still keeping an open mind about all of the starters moving forward because we haven't seen them, I don't think, with top-notch pitching, development, and coaching. So we'll see what that looks like if they get it. My strong performer, I wanted to go with a hitter because, you know, you went with a pitcher, don't want this to be all pitching. We got a lot of pitching for weak performances, too. I went with Kyle Isbell because I've gotten to see him play this last week and I'm liking more what I'm seeing from him. He's a guy who I've been on the bandwagon for a lot. A guy who I feel like hasn't been treated right as a prospect, jerked around a lot, moved directly from high A to the majors only to like sit on the bench for three weeks and go down to AAA and then back to the majors. It's just been a lot of moving around and not playing a lot for Kyle Isbell in his professional career. And that's not how you develop somebody. And yet he's sort of per- persevered to some degree. He's playing excellent defense in center field and everywhere else they put him. He went three for eight this week with a double, a walk, three strikeouts, and this kills me. Three caught stealings this week. He was caught stealing three times this guy week only with zero I mean, successful that, stolen bases. He got on base four times.
0: He got he got on base four times, he got caught yeah. three stealing three.
1: He caught stealing yeah, three times. Come on, Kyle <laughs> Isbell. What are you doing, man? Like, um, but anyway, Kansas City the guy, bro, I'm hoping baseball. for more from <laughs> oh that's perfect that is perfect uh he's a guy I'm hoping for more for moving forward like get get some work work with Alex Zumwalt and Drew Saylor develop that bat and he's a guy who at the very least could be a successful fourth outfielder could be a pretty successful everyday center fielder in a Kauffman stadium which is so big and he's such a good defender I just I know there's more in there from him I just hope that they haven't completely screwed him up with what they've done to him in development-wise, because I, the talent is there. I'm just hoping for more from him offensively. So it was good to see him have a good offensive week this week. Uh, that wasn't the case for the guy you're going to talk about next for our week performers. Mike, tell us who was struggling uh, at the plate this week.
0: Well, Michael Massey had a little bit of a rough week going three for 16. He didn't have any walks. He had five strikeouts. He did have what you would consider kind of a rookie good week where, you know, a rookie bad week where you go three for 16, but he did a home run and a double in there. So, you know, he's, his, his big thing too is going to be consistency because we've seen the weeks where he goes off and he's, you know, hitting two home runs and he's getting taken some walks and he's driving the ball. Uh, but Massey, I think will get more consistent as he gets more playing time in major league baseball. And for him, it's really going to be about, can you be basically an average to maybe slightly above average offensive performer because the defensive value is going to be there at second base.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder about him because he's a little bit more aggressive as a hitter than you would think a guy coming out of the Drew Saylor school of hitting would be. You know, he swings quite a bit. Um, and Saylor's about like, you know, swinging only pitches you can do damage on and stuff like that. And so we'll see if, if his approach even starts to develop just a little bit. And he starts taking a few more pitches. He starts walking a little bit more. If he does, that really bodes well for him offensively. Now he's good enough. He has a good enough hit tool right now to just be successful with what he's doing right now. You know, he's got a pretty good line for the entire season, but it will be interesting to see what steps he makes in the offseason, how he develops moving into next year as he gets more familiar with Major League pitching and that sort of thing. I'm bringing up another pitcher for my week performer. And he went out today and laid a big old egg which was bad because I think some people have some high hopes for him. That's Max Castillo. He went out, pitched through five innings today. These are just his today numbers. I think he had a another brief outing earlier this week. But uh, five innings pitched today, seven earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, two home runs. The Five strikeouts is good, but, you know, gave way too many hits, walked a couple guys. And then, of course, the two home runs are going to hurt you every time. Um, Castillo, a guy who going to have to keep still young, going to have to keep refining, going to have to keep improving some of his pitches, some of his secondaries, especially. I think if he does that, maybe he has a chance to hook on to the back end of this rotation. Him and John Heasley could maybe make a decent four or five combo, but you'd like to see more from him uh, as we wrap up the year. I think he might, no, I think he's done. I think this was his last start of the year. And so uh, hopefully he uh, can work on some stuff this off season and bounce back, show us something in spring training, and maybe he ends up making the rotation next year.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing why Toronto had him in the bullpen. You know, every once in a while he gives you a start where you're like, oh, I I can squint and see this guy as a real solid rotation piece. But then you get these and you're like, "Eh, I'm not sure. I think I think it does boil down to what you said. He needs to improve on some of those secondary pitches, make them stronger pitches, make them out pitches. Uh, You know, he's got the good changeup, But, you know, I I don't know that that by itself is going to be good enough to carry him. He needs to improve uh, the breaking ball and he needs to be consistent with the fastball in that it needs to be able to be located where where he wants to put it because he's not a burner from the right side. So he's going to have to improve no, a little not. bit on some of that stuff if he wants to be a rotation guy. The Royals, uh, and the, maybe this is the good part about that acquisition, is he has shown that he can be productive in the bullpen as well. So um, that's if that's an option, if you feel like, oh, he's just not going to make it in the rotation, then you can always shuffle him back to the bullpen and you still got value out of that trade.
1: And he's the type of guy you value more as a swing man than somebody like a, a Carlos Hernandez or something like that, where you're really never sure what you're going to get. Castillo, you're a little more sure of what you're going to get than you are a guy like Hernandez. And so I, I'd be much more comfortable if if Castillo ended up in, in some sort of swing role in the bullpen or something like that than I am with a guy like Carlos Hernandez. Um, this week, I think, it was an interesting week because... The Royals have played well there for a little bit, and then they came into this week and they get swept by the Tigers. That puts them in last place in the AL Central. It just reminds us that there's still a long way to go for this team. You know, There are still a lot of holes in the roster that need to be filled. In the starting rotation, certainly. In the bullpen, certainly. In the lineup, mm, there's at least a lot of progress to be made. We may not want to fill holes, but we need guys like Michael Massey to take a step forward, Bobby Witt Jr. to take a step forward, you know, Kyle Isbell to take a step forward, MJ Melendez to take a step forward. All these guys need to progress next year. That doesn't mean they won't. It just means you got to see it in order f- to have any hope that this team will get somewhere near 500. It's going to have to be lots of steps forward from the lineup and f- filling some holes in the rotation in the bullpen because the guys just aren't there right now. This roster is not 500 worthy at this moment, I don't think, especially on the pitching side. And so we're just reminded again this week that the roster is not good enough let alone the coaching and the developing, and all that sort of stuff. We need to bring some guys in to sort of start pushing this team in the right direction.
0: Yeah, and that that's where my theme kind of comes in, I guess, is who's going to be that person. My, my theme this week is play every game like it's your last and one of them will be. And that's kind of one of the critiques of a Mike Matheny managerial style is that he tries to win every single game no matter what. You're down 10, we're going to win this game. you know. And I think it's hard to do that it's, and it can be a detriment to a young team, especially because if you're teaching them that you're not teaching them to play a 162 game season, you're not teaching them to play the long game rather than, Oh, let's cut off our, fa- our nose to spite our face. You know, like, like, let's, I don't know. It, it's, it's a weird thing to me that anybody would approach a major league baseball season like that. And I'm all for winning. And, you know, I think it's very different in other sports. I think in football, you approach it like that because you play one game a week and there's only Seventeen of them in, in the NFL or less as you go down. You cannot play baseball that way, or else you're going to burn guys out. You're not only going to burn them out hearing you constantly pushing that, but you're also going to burn out pitchers. You're mm-hmm. going to you know you're going to burn out a bullpen. You're going to wear out the guys that are playing every single day. And and so I, I I'm I'm ready for that fresh approach of of a guy who's treating it like it you know this. I don't know why this reminds me of that. It reminds me of like those youth coaches that really like push winning. You know, it's like, dude, you're Mm -hmm. not, you're not, you don't, a, don't have to be a rah rah guy in major league baseball. Like these guys are professionals. They know what they're doing. They're out there to compete. That's why they're at this level because they were more competitive than everybody else. They want to win. You know, that it's your job to pull them back and say, Hey, we're not going to win this one. We're down 15 we're going to throw somebody in there. That's not a pitcher, or we're going to pull some guys out to get them rest or, Hey, you know, we're going into a day game after a night game. We have to think about the next week of games as well. And so I'm, I'm ready yeah. for that approach rather than the, Hey, let's try and win every game approach. Turn on the metal music. Yeah. Well, well,
1: I, I don't know that it's wrong for a player to have that approach. It's definitely wrong for a manager. That's what I'm saying, to have yeah, that approach players like, and they do. That's the thing.
0: Players do have that approach. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's really, really, really important that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike relies on these subscriber numbers to earn street cred with middle schoolers, like a high school teacher who raps about the periodic table of elements. It's free. It takes about half a second. Help Mike out. He needs the help. Look at how lame he is. (laughs) They don't respect him right now. (laughs) He needs the cred. Anyway, yo, go ahead. Take the short amount of time it takes. It does us a world of good. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We post a lot of additional content on there. Once I get settled and all this moving, I'll get back to posting a ton of stuff on Twitter. You get to read all this free content. It's a lot of fun to talk to us and that sort of thing. So follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. One of the exciting developments of the back half of the 2022 season has been the development of Drew Waters, a talented but underperforming outfielder in the Braves system. The Royals hitting development team has unlocked a much more patient approach, and he continues to progress, walking at a much higher rate than previous seasons and hitting with tremendous power. Since joining the major league team, the Royals, he's hitting .250 with a .341 on base and a .500 slugging, which is good enough for a 135 weighted runs created plus meaning he's 35% above league average offensively. He plays an excellent outfield as well, which is good. So I'd like to take this spotlight segment to focus a little on the emergence of Waters, what it could mean moving forward for him and the team as a whole. First off, Mike, what do you see as the key
0: to Waters' continued success? Well, before I jump into that, I want to kind of give a little background to listeners who may not know the Drew Waters thing. So when Waters first came up with the Braves, he was a top 50 prospect in all of baseball after a phenomenal first year in professional baseball in single A, I think. Well, then the Braves did something very Royals-esque with the whole COVID situation. They basically skipped him to A immediately. And he struggled, surprisingly, he, unsurprising to anybody who knows anything about baseball. Going from single A to A is hard. <laughs> and so he really struggled just flailing up there at the plate. Then he, they sent him back to triple A. And he kept struggling again, and then that's when we were able to get him. And so I think, first off, that's extremely astute by the Royals front office to recognize the talent is there, that there may have been an issue in his development. But I think the thing that's that they've done the best and the thing that will sustain him for future success is that approach at the plate and his ability to continue to play center field at an effective level. If they can keep it so that he's not swinging so much and not striking out so much, then we're going to see the Drew Waters that everybody thought that baseball would see as possibly a superstar in this league.
1: Yeah. It's a strikeout rate that everybody points to. And oddly it was in like the high twenties, low thirties in AAA when he was with Omaha and the storm chasers, it stayed right there. Whereas somebody like Nick Prado had his in like 28, 29 and it went up when he went into the major leagues, drew waters has really hasn't gone up that much. It's roughly it's 30% right now. And he continues to hit with lots of power and take walks and that sort of thing. And so The continued work on the strikeout rate, the continued work laying off pitches in the shadow, especially early in counts, laying off pitches outside the strike zone, understanding how pitchers will throw him is what's going to sort of take him to that next level, that potential superstar level, or at the very least, highly productive level. I don't know that with a strikeout rate in the high 20s, he can ever really be like Aaron Judge or anything like that. You know, I think it might just be like, Think, think Alex Gordon in terms of the height of his potential. Like if you're a five, six war player, you're really, really good. You, are you a MVP candidate? No, but you're really, really good. And really, really good every year for a lot of years is very valuable, especially for a team like the Royals that could use some really, really good hitters. Um, what do you, I mean, that, that's a good question that sort of opens, begs the question, what do you think his ultimate ceiling is? Like, do you think that he can be,
0: you know, a, a Lorenzo Cain like guy, something above that, something below that? I like, I like the Lorenzo Cain thing. I hadn't really thought about that. I think as you know, in Lorenzo Cain's best years, he was an all-star. I think that that's like what you're hoping for, for Drew Waters in his best year, I, years, I, I would hope he could be an all-star. And if he can sustain that for a long stretch of time, remember, he's still very young. Um, then you're talking about somebody who for six or seven years is on that border of being an all-star. That's fantastic. You know, and I think one of the reasons that you don't see his strikeout numbers go up Quite as much as you do a guy like Prado, he's a switch hitter. So pitchers are always going to have to be a little bit more careful against him in that maybe their stuff doesn't align to striking out a righty as much as a lefty. And or you see what I'm saying? So he's never going to have that matchup problem where it's like, well, I'm a righty going against a righty. So I know I can throw this slider down in a way, or I'm a, a lefty going against a lefty. I you know I have this one pitch that dominates lefties. He's never going to have that problem <laughs> because he's a switch hitter. So um, yeah, that could be one reason why it but. is
1: weird to think like you will, he will never see, he will never see a breaking pitch breaking away from him. It won't happen. Right. Because mm-hmm. he is, he's a switch hitter. You know, when a righty's up, he's hitting left-handed when a lefty's up, he's hitting right-handed. So he only has to worry about stuff breaking down and into him, except for maybe change ups. If somebody has got a really, really good one, you know, yeah. um, so yeah, uh, that's really interesting to think. I think he's that for ceiling in terms of if we're thinking in terms of numbers. I think of it in terms of he's an eight fifty to nine hundred OPS guy. To me, that's his ceiling. You know, I don't think the strikeout rate will ever get into the low twenties, but if he gets into the mid twenties and stays there, I think he's eight fifty to nine hundred because he's got so much pop in his bat. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark and or in the gaps pretty effectively, and then he can run a little bit too. That'll always add to those power numbers and really the the transformative thing for him has been the walk rate. He got to AAA Omaha and essentially doubled his walk rate from like eight to like 16. And if oh. he keeps sustaining something like that, I mean, you're looking at him right now, his, his on base is almost a hundred. It's 91 points higher than his batting average. That's huge. If he, <laughs> that is huge. He doesn't have to have a crazy hit tool. He doesn't have to get a whole bunch of hits. If he's getting walks and taking all these walks, Forcing guys into his power hitting zones, he can hit 250 and be totally fine. And that, that's like, that's what we, we have to assume is a base for him if he can continue to hit the ball as
0: hard as he does and all that sort of thing. And here's he's one guy we haven't really talked about possibly taking that leadoff role for the team. But if he is walking at that rate, he is a switch hitter, he can run. It might be at least something to think about, you know. Uh, moving forward. If now I wouldn't want it to start the year next year, I want to see some more sustained success from him. But you know, if he turns into one of your most productive offensive players, you got to get him up there somewhere.
1: His emergence, I think has implications or cascading effects for the rest of the outfield. Cause it's weird without him, you kind of look at the outfield and you're like, it's filled with uncertainty. You know, what do you think his emergence means for the outfield moving forward?
0: Well, even with him as of now, it's still uncertainty because he hasn't done it for long enough. But I think if you feel like you've cemented that, I mean, it's such a huge thing because he can play center field and a solid center field. You know, it's not like "Eh, he can play center field, but he's not very good at it. No, he's pretty good at it. So you've got a guy here who's a switch hitter who can play center field, who can run. Now, really, the question becomes, now you have all these other guys that are trying to battle for two corner outfield spots. For some of those guys, that'll fit. But for Kyle Isbell, his defensive value plays in center field. So what do you do there? Is he become your fourth outfielder who can play center field? You know, you've got Olivares, you've got Melendez, you've got Prado who's played some outfield. You've got, who knows, uh, not Ryan O'Hearn. Hopefully he's not here anymore. Hunter Dozier, (laughs) who if he needs a spot, you probably still play him at first or right field. And so, yeah, there's so many questions still to be answered. But if that's your answer in center field, boy, that's a big one. That's one checked off the list. You're like, okay, at least we've got that taken care of. Of course, then the question also is what do you do with Michael A. Taylor next year?
1: You trade him. You we've trade said, him. We've said
0: trade him in the off season, but who knows? You know, you're hoping this front office is more transactional, but there is no guarantee. So, uh, yeah, good you, question there.
1: You already have a Michael A. Taylor on the roster and his name's Kyle Isbell and he's way cheaper. So trade him. It's <laughs> it's a very simple solution there, right? Like, And so I actually think it makes a ton of sense to start thinking of this outfield as Drew Waters as your everyday starting center fielder, at least to start 2023. Melendez as your left fielder, Olivares as your right fielder. And then when you want to get a better defensive lineup in there, you put Kyle Isbell in center, you move Drew Waters to one of the corners, maybe on the days that Salvi's going to DH and Melendez is going to catch. You move uh, Waters to left field or to right field. You know, there's a lot you can do moving it around, but, A starting outfield of Melendez in left, Waters in center, and Olivares in right is probably your best hitting outfield. And is that outfield pretty bad on the corners defensively? (laughs) It's going to hurt you a little defensively. Melendez should spend all of this offseason just getting better in the outfield. That's what he needs to spend this offseason doing. Um, And so should (laughs) Olivares. But, you know, it's going to be weak defensively to some degree, but offensively, there's no doubt that Olivares gives you the better chance in, in, as a hitter in right. Waters looks like he's emerging in center. Melendez needs to take some step forward, but he's got a lot of potential as a hitter in left. That's your best offensive outfield. Offense is more important than defense. That's how I say you do it. You get the, If you get the lead in the seventh, go ahead and bring Isbell in in center. But for, for, to start off, I think they need to be thinking about that in terms of their outfield alignment.
0: That's probably what I would go with as well. Boy, that hurts a little bit defensively. You might be able to do some stuff. I'm trying to think of another defensive outfielder, corner outfielder for them. Is there anybody I'm missing? No. Well, Nate Eaton can play defensively out there. Oh yeah, yeah. But okay, so uh, that's a tough one. So maybe Eaton's like your utility guy, one of your utility guys. And I think Eaton is going to start at
1: third base for them. Really? Where? Who? Wow. I think Nate Eaton. They're going to start Hunter Dozier
0: at third base. Come on. Let's get realistic. They just they, they just haven't played him there much, you know? So I would think they would be playing him there more if that was the play. I think that might now, be the I guess the plan. it's the manager. They're not going to be a completely different exactly. manager. Exactly. So, so um, that's what's going on in my
1: mind anyway right now is that Eaton will be mostly at third. Of course, he can play the outfield as well. No, no, no qualms with that. But... Um, you know, I'm thinking mostly as Melendez Waters is Bell.
0: Okay, so you think you think Bobby doesn't play third? You think yep. Bobby plays short
1: at least to start the year? Maybe if Mikel Garcia is ready, yeah, I think if Mikel Garcia is ready come midway through the year, they might try depending on different things to to promote Garcia to short and move Bobby Wood Jr. to third. But it just sort of depends on how everybody's doing.
0: Yeah, that makes it tough for Nate Eaton. Not if he keeps um, hitting <laughs> to see see time, you know. That's true. If he keeps hitting, they'll find a place for him. Uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm, now I'm all like geeked up. Like, how do we get Nate Eaton on the field? Cause I like watching him play. I want to see him on the field. Um, that's going to be interesting. Maybe they move a guy or two this off season for a, for a pitching as well. That's always a, a, a possibility. So we'll see.
1: Only three games left for the boys in blue this year, and they're against the team that they're currently facing. Mike, we already know about the guardians, but tell us what the pitching matchups are going to be. Tell us what we're going to see in this final three games of the 2022 season.
0: Final three games. I'm excited about them because of the pitching matchups. Three guys that I really want to see Zach Greinke and what could be his final start for the Kansas city Royals against Tristan McKenzie will be the first uh, matchup. Tristan McKenzie's had a really good year with a two nine, nine ERA. He's got a whip under one. He's been one of the main reasons why uh, the guardians are going to win this division. He doesn't throw super hard 93 mile per hour fastball, but this is kind of Cleveland's thing. Not super hard throwing, but still effective fastballs.
1: Oh, to be clear, the guardians, the guardians have won this division. Mathematically, they have won this division.
0: Yeah. Oh, they already did. I wasn't sure if that had happened yet. Okay. Good for them. Um, they deserve it because they're doing things like taking guys like Tristan McKenzie and turning him into quality starters. That's what they do. And so he's got curveball slider as well. Throws his fastball more than 50% of the time at 93 miles an hour. Um, <clears throat> and it's still very effective. That's what Cleveland does, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the second game I'm also very excited about because Lynch had what was a strong start last week. So it'll be Daniel Lynch against Cal Quantrill 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 Quantrill. Not Cantrell, Quantrell, uh, 27-year-old right-handed pitcher, 3.42 ERA, a 1-2-2 whip, 94 miles per hour on the fastball, and most, those are mostly sinkers. Throws a cutter, change up a curveball as well. Uh, throws the fastball or cutter roughly 85% of the time, so we've got to be ready to hit the sinker-cutter combination. I love that combination, by the way. That's a great um, combo. Isn't it? Gosh, that's really good. Both hard hard uh, pitches and break in two different directions. Um, so really excited about that. And then, uh, the last one, my boy, John Heasley going against Zach, please Zach, uh, a 27 year old right-hander 4.34. He's having a little bit of a rough year for him. He's had better years. 1.33 whip fastball at 92 slider changeup up curveball. Uh, the opponents really struggle with his slider, uh, but he throws his fastball about 43% of the time. John Heasley, not so great in his last start. But pretty good two starts ago. Again, another guy that needs consistently consistency to be in this rotation. So as always, I'm pulling for you. Heasley. Don't let me down, brother.
1: We'll end this week's episode. Like we end every episode with our, just a bit outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, you are basically the world's most interesting person. If we listen to the intros that I write, (laughs) <laughs> Tell us a little bit of something about what you're finding interesting right now on the rundown. It says the exact same thing that you found interesting last week. So you're so boring. It, you're did going to talk the about thing? the teacher
0: shortage. Did I talk about the teacher yeah, shortage? You talked week? about
1: the teacher shortage. Yeah,
0: ah, man. I, I this is what happens when you get old. Week.
1: Your brain turns yeah. to
0: rot. Your brain you know? turns to rot, rot. I'll talk about and mine
1: <laughs> and you can think about something else. All right. I'll just
0: think I'm talking about,
1: gone. I'm talking about a TV show. I've been walking, watching for like, gosh, like a month or two now. Um, my partner got me into it. And normally this is not something I would watch. It is a show called Steven Universe, which is an animated show. And it is an animated show for children, right? It is a children's animated show. My partner is an adult. I am an adult. Uh, and yet for some reason, she's really into this show. And I started watching it and I was like, this seems like any other children's cartoon that you would watch. I had no big deal, you know? But the more you watch it, the more you realize that, no, they have created this very intricate, and large universe to, to, that this story is taking place in. it's almost like it's almost like a Greek epic, like the Iliad or the Odyssey, told as a children's cartoon. It's like the story of this alien race of people who are like have fled to Earth, who come to earth or came to earth many years ago, and then a war took place. And it's just a very intricate thing for like a children's cartoon, you know, like, uh, but it's got great themes for kids too. But adults, so if you have kids, this is what I would recommend you show to them because you can get into it as an adult too. I am totally hooked in on this show. Uh, it's got the best, great themes for kids about like a friendship and acceptance and things like that. But it's also just a really awesome story about, you know, these, this, world many year light years from here. And it's just, it's, it's really a great story. I, I highly recommend you watch it. It might take the, the episodes are only like 12 minutes long or something like that. They're really, really short. Um, but there's lots of them. Like there are 50 episodes in a season or something like that. Um, and so yeah, give it a watch. Eventually you will get hooked. I promise. Just give it time to start unfolding the larger story of what's taking place. Cause there's a lot that's like initially unknown that you find out many, many episodes later. Okay. So please give it a watch. The writers on it, extremely sophisticated writing. Uh,
0: I, I highly, highly recommend it. I want you to do me a favor. Okay. Get up, lay mm-hmm. off the marijuanas. Okay. All right. Just <laughs> lay off the I'll
1: tell you what, right? the, peop- the people, the who, people who write this show clearly do not lay off the marijuanas because <laughs> there is some really trippy stuff in this show. Okay. <laughs> But, um, it's, but it's entirely kid-friendly. It is amazing uh-huh. stuff. Real kid-friendly. Uh, I
0: highly recommend it. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I actually tried watching it one time. It, I didn't like it. Uh, but uh, So I'm going to talk about, uh, because you, you squashed on my, repeating my one from last week.
1: We're giving the people fresh content here. Fresh content.
0: I want to talk about the Kansas City Star editorial page, uh, because it, 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 there was a big dust up this week on the Kansas City Star editorial page. And you know what it made me do? I canceled my subscription to the Kansas City Star. I did. Yes. Uh, but, I mean, it was something I meant to do a while ago, but then to this week when they when they published a letter to, uh, letter to the editor uh, uh, calling Patrick Mahomes, like, basically saying that he's vain and that he just cares about how he looks and not whether he wins or loses, which is the most biggest bag of ridiculous garbage I've ever heard in my life. But it reminds me that two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, it might be a month ago now, I don't know, that the star printed an editorial piece about how teachers were ideologues, brainwashing children, public school teachers were brainwashing children. And it was all the fault of woke educators. And this was just after they had published a piece on teacher shortage. So it made me go, well, one of the things I'm not sure everybody understands as I listen to the, the back and forth over this, this new Patrick Mahomes article one, I did not hear near the uproar for the teachers are brainwashing children editorial piece that I did for the Patrick Mahomes one. I wish we had, um, but I understand that there's not going to be as many people who know what's going on in, in the education space. But like what you what I want people to understand is that editorial boards are not connected to the news side of newspapers. So they're usually completely independent. Okay. But that does not relinquish the responsibility of an editorial board for publishing garbage like this. OK, that newspaper. And, and let's be honest, we all know why they do these things. They do them for clicks. They do them to because they think it's going to drum up interest. It's going to make people mad and they're going to talk about it and it's going to make them more money. But I mean, I'm sure the the star's not thinking that what they did was a smart thing this week. But, you know, we have to get away from that stuff. Editorial boards are important. You know, they need they, they should have journalistic standards as well. I talk to my students every year about journalistic standards and things like that. And I'm not sure that the Kansas City Star opinion section and the editorial board is living up to a journalistic standard that anybody would promote. And so that's kind of my call. I still think that the Kansas City Star news side does some great things, some great investigation stuff. You know, they've they they were the ones, a lot of them that pushed for the investigation of that detective in Kansas who had been sexually abusing informants for years and years and years. The star helped uncover that. They've done some fantastic things news wise. But that is an egregious what what the what the opinion section has become is is an egregious problem. Um, And so, yeah, hopefully the star takes a hard look at their opinion section and their editorial board because it's not uh, it's not a good thing right now.
1: Yeah, you hit it right on the head. With we've come to a place in in a lot of media. The the star isn't the only one that does this. The Wall Street Journal does it too, and it's garbage. Where they're like, our editorial board gets to do whatever it wants, no standards whatsoever. All their job is to do is to like drum up interest, to drum up outrage among the the audience, to get people to click on our, our stories and, and that sort of thing. It drives me insane. Like that that I read that. Um, woke educators garbage and i wouldn't let that run in my college newspaper it is such garbage I, I i don't understand that just because it's written by a politician we have to put it in the newspaper just because it's written by you know some someone we have to we, you don't have to put a this stuff in political
0: commentator there. No, come on get what, it out of it. what is you that? and i are political I'll commentators political if we want to be you we know what? all are this is the internet political commentator this is the internet <laughs> <at> <laughs> age people
1: wake <laughs> up like it, it, it drives me crazy to, to not have any sort of standards that are like Did anybody fact check this editorial? Did anybody like make sure that the claims are supported with evidence? No, no, we didn't do that. And what's funny is none of these are time sensitive either. Like you could run these next week, take the week to like actually read it and, and, you know, look at its claims
0: and look for evidence. Like how about logic? Do we ever just stop and go, is this logical?
1: What's what's the the hard truth of (laughs) journalism and journalism schools is they actually don't train you in those things for journalism and journalism schools. I know I have a degree in journalism. I went to journalism school. They don't actually train you to know how to make an argument, to know how to evaluate an argument, to know how to like the rules of, you know, logic and fallacies and things like that. They just train you in like writing particular genres. Like this is a hard news story. This is a feature story. This is how you ask questions and that sort of stuff, which is great. But they also need to, if you're planning on being a member of an editorial board, if you plan on, you need to understand these things in order to evaluate the pieces that are going to run on your opinion section. If not, you end up like the Wall Street Journal, which publishes nonstop garbage in its editorial section on its editorial page, or like the Kansas City Star right now, which is running seemingly really, really fallacious arguments on their editorial page.
0: Yeah, it was how you, how you could look at something like that and and not think like, and if the questions people were raising were completely apt and perfect. Has and d- did it mention the work that they've done in the community? Let alone the fact that the guy has already won a Super Bowl. The only thing you need to lo- know that this is not logically correct. He's played four AFC Championship games and won a Super Bowl and played in two. He doesn't want to win. I'm sorry, what? All he's done is win.
1: <laughs> he's also the winningest quarterback in his first what four or five years of anybody all time like, ever like, ever. All he cares about is looking come good. On, all
0: he does is win. Does oh. Exactly. We have
1: too much time on our hands. If we're coming up with arguments like this, it's ridiculous. I know man, just Jeez. ridiculous. This is what, this is the stuff that makes me want to like move to Southern Portugal and just retire in the woods somewhere, you know, like, uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll be here next week <laughs> to make uh, at least, at least for one more week. I'll be here to, uh, to record an episode of Royals weekly for you all. We'll be back to talk about the final three games. And then we're going to move to once monthly, like we do in the off season. We'll move to once monthly episodes, but we'll be back next week talking about these final three games until then
0: be good to each other and go Royals.